0: Father, thank you that your word is alive and active. Help us slow down when we do read it. Thank you for this time of silence that we've been able to sit in. Holy Spirit, we need you. Would you open our eyes to see your truth? Would you open our ears to to hear your truth? Would you grant us understanding Would you stir us, cause us to be zealous for your word and your truth and living out Christ-likeness in the world? Father, thank you for this text, and I pray that you would meet us in this space, uh, that you would challenge us in this space. You're a good father, and when you do correct us and discipline us, it's because you love us. So would we remember that and uh, continue to trust you in the work you're doing in our lives? We're grateful. God, I thank you for this church and thank you for the work you're doing with this body. Would you continue to bless them abundantly with your spirit? Would you continue to go before them in, in the work that you've called them to here in this community, here on this campus, and even as they scatter and go about their lives elsewhere. Would you bless them in that work, also, Father? Uh, we are so grateful that you have adopted us and redeemed us as your sons and daughters. So grateful that we're yours, that you're ours. Uh, we love you, God. To your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, as John shared some of that history. My wife Tina and I are extremely grateful for the, the years that we've spent here with Redemption Peoria. We spent four years with this congregation, and it's been nothing but a blessing in our lives. It's grown us, it's shaped us. Uh, I, I feel like I've confidently stepped into my calling as a pastor over those years. Um, work like, like AZ Reach began. Uh, And relationships, most importantly, were developed and have been kept. And we're so grateful for the years that God had us here. I often, uh, well, not once in a while, I'll still talk to Josh Miles. So last week, we're, you know, catching up. And I'm like, hey, by the way, bro, I'm going to be at Peoria. And uh, he goes, oh, tell them I said hi. I'm like, that's it? You just want me to say hi? (laughs) And he said, uh, tell them I said, peace be with you. Yeah. <laughs> so I told him I, I would, and also with you. Yeah, I told him I'd share that. <laughs> so uh, from John 18, 38 through 40, let's, before we dive into verse 38, let's, let's just quickly catch up to, to where we're at in the story and, and how we got here. So a few weeks ago, we spent uh, some time on, on looking at how Jesus was saying some really hard things to his followers. And uh, he ended some of those harsh statements with saying, You know, you are all gonna leave me. And just know that I'm not alone, but the Father is with me. And right after he said some harsh statements to his followers, he looks up to heaven and he prays this very beautiful prayer. And part of his prayer, he's praying for his glory and he's praying for his disciples, and then he ends that prayer with praying for the church, with praying for oneness and praying for unity. And after that prayer, uh, Jesus is arrested. He takes his followers to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prays, and he comes and is arrested. We see that Peter denies Jesus. He was, you know, all about, I'll never deny you, you know, I'll, I'll die for you, and Jesus is like, quit tripping, you're going to deny me three times, and sure enough, he does deny him three times. Uh, we see that Jesus is hit, he's struck by an officer, because there's so much anger and fury, you know, pointed to Jesus, and they hit him, and now in the story, we are where Jesus uh, stands before Pilate, and John was diving into that last week and ended on verse 38. So let's open up there, verse 38. It says that Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? And to better understand why Pilate is asking what is truth, let's look at verse 37 together. It says, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born, and for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So this is why Pilate responds, you what is truth? And we don't know his motives, if he really means it, if he doesn't, but this is a question that we've all asked, or maybe some of us are still asking, what is truth? You know, I think a famous mantra in our culture today is live your truth. Raise your hand if you've heard people say, live your truth. I hear it all the time, especially amongst the high school students. Live your truth. In other words, do you. Whatever you think is best, whatever is most pleasing to you, do you. And really, when we peek, when we pull back the curtain and look at what really this means, it's really just another way of saying, look, I get to do whatever I want. And no one can tell me different. No one can press against my truth because it's my truth. In the words of a famous hip-hop artist, he says, if what's truth for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me, what if my truth says that your truth is a lie? Is it still true? And I think when we look at this question of what is truth, there are four burning questions that all of us ask who am I or another way of asking that what does it mean to be human where do I receive my dignity and my value that's one question who am I another question we ask is what is my purpose why am I here a third question how am I supposed to live Where do I get my morals and my ethics from? And that last question we all ask is, what's next? When I die, what's going to happen? And our culture attempts to provide an answer to all of these questions. Every commercial we see, every ad we see, every show we watch, every movie we watch, every song we listen to is providing an answer to these questions, the Super Bowl ads we're going to watch today, as funny and cool as they are, they're providing answers to these questions. Where do you get life? What does it mean to live and what might what might happen later on? And and I believe that the proper answer to all of these questions is found in God. It's found in this one story that we are all living in because we are living in one big story. And you may have have heard that a few times here at Redemption. You may have seen the symbols that represent different acts in this story that we're all living in, but it's basically summed up in creation. God created the world a certain way for for us to enjoy it and for it to function in, in perfection, and then sin breaks that, and there's rebellion against God and rebellion against what he commands. And then God gives a promise beginning with the people of Israel. And then, and then Jesus comes and gives his life on the cross and resurrects three days later. And we find ourselves in this part of the story where, where we are the church and we're continuing on this mission of God. And we're awaiting the day when Jesus will return again and make all things new. Redeem all that is broken. And, and answers to those four questions can be found in this one story. So it's funny that Pilate is looking at Jesus, the center of this story that we're living in, and he's like, what is truth? You're looking at him. I mean, Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, Jesus says. So who knows if Pilate really means what he's asking. I think we can see by reading the different gospels on, on Pilate and on Jesus and Barabbas, we see this tension that Pilate is, is clearly sit, sitting in. This ain't easy for him. I mean, he goes to Jesus three times like, you know what they're saying about you? Are you who you say you are? Who are you? What are you doing? He goes to the people like, I find no guilt in him, he tells me. And he goes back to Jesus, and he comes back to the people. I find no guilt in him. And he even, in the Gospel of Matthew, has his wife coming to him saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I suffered in a dream last night because of him. If your spouse is coming to you with a big decision and, and having input on that, it's going to be difficult, right? The reality is, though, he has this huge mob outside, trying to convince him otherwise with no evidence. They're just making stuff up. But they're doing everything they, in their power to convince Pilate to kill Jesus. So he's sitting in some serious tension. And this crowd is a trip. The Jews are a trip. Because... Not much longer before that, Jesus comes riding in on a donkey and they got their branches that they're waving, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, praising Jesus, worshiping Jesus. And we fast forward to this moment and some of those same people could, could very likely be in this crowd that went from Hosanna, praise him to crucify him crucify him. And I think I'd be foolish to think, oh, that wouldn't be me. I mean, I think our hearts are very fickle, and that could very much be us. But this crowd is determined, being persuaded by the chief priests and elders to punish Jesus we read that in the text they're persuading the chief priests and elders maybe the crowd work they're on the fence they didn't know but you got them persuading them getting them hyped up speaking all these lies to the point where finally the 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 noise got too loud for Pilate. Uh, but we see him trying though look at verse 39 of john 18 we see Pilate trying he's trying to squirm out of this one. He says, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. The Passover being the the celebration of liberation of slavery from Egypt. The passing over by the blood being stained over the door to prevent death in that home. And they're celebrating this Passover, yet here they are arguing for the death of the true Lamb of God. But Pilate's trying. He's like, yo, I got, I got this dude here who's pretty innocent, and I got this other dude who is crazy guilty. He's a criminal. And, and Pilate says in part B of verse 39, so... Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And and again, Pilate knows they ain't thinking right. You know, in Matthew 27, it says, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered Jesus up. It was out of envy. I'm like, man, why were these dudes envious? Well, because Jesus was poking at their power. Jesus came in and Pharisees and the chief priests had all this power and all this say, and Jesus comes and turns all that over and starts messing up their vibes. And they're like, yo, we can't lose this power. Who's this guy? And they're threatened by Jesus. So Pilate knows that. The dudes are envious. And I love how Pilate, I feel like, is throwing little jabs at him. He's like, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Knowing that that's probably going get, to get, get them upset more, calling him the king of the Jews, the last thing they want to hear, the last thing they believe. And Pilate's like, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Your king? Look at verse 40. They, they cry out, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. So we see Pilate calling Jesus king of the Jews, and the, the Jews are like, not this man. They don't call him king of the Jews. Not this man, their response is. You know, what's interesting is, is Barabbas, mean, his name means son of the father. Yet he's standing next to the true son of the father, Jesus. Tim Keller, when speaking about this text, says both, Jesus and Barabbas, are son of the father. And yet they could not be more different. One rules by taking the lives of others and the other rules by giving his own life. One wants to overthrow the king because Barabbas was known as an insurrectionist. And the other is the rightful king of the people. One is guilty and will be set free, and the other is an innocent man who is about to be killed. The real son of the father who is innocent will go to his death. They freed the wrong son. They did free the wrong son. But the reality is, this is how it was supposed to happen. Jesus isn't going to the cross against his will. We don't see Jesus putting up a fight We don't see Jesus trying to justify himself and prove his innocence. Jesus was on a mission, and he said that long before this moment. In his book, Pursuing God, Josh Butler says this. A good place to start is to recognize that Jesus is an active agent, not a helpless victim. He is not coerced or manipulated to the cross against his will. Jesus boldly declares, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus goes of his own volition to accomplish his purposes. He is taking down the destructive power of sin, death, and hell. Jesus is a lion. The cross is his prey. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem long before his execution and like an arrow streaming toward its target, made his way toward Zion to atone for the sin of the world. Jesus was on mission, not against his will. But it's, it's crazy that we see this robber, this man Barabbas who's a robber and a criminal, pardoned. This man who is, his, he's obviously guilty being pardoned in place of a man who is completely innocent. I mean, is that not the gospel? our sin, we are guilty as can be, and you're like, nah, not me. Are you sure? I mean, let's put up your thoughts over the last 24 hours. Jesus says, if you even look at a person with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus says, if you've even hated a brother or sister, you're a murderer. So, we can't look at Barabbas and be like, he's, he's Really guilty. Like, yo, look at let's look at ourselves. We're really guilty. And Jesus, this innocent man who lived a sinless life, which we read about during worship, stands in our place. The reality is, y'all, Jesus has a, a history for freeing prisoners. That's just the reality. I mean, God, I was stuck in prison. I was enslaved to my sin. And there was nothing I could do about it. Every time I told myself, all right, bet, I'm going to stop doing this on my own power. I didn't know Jesus. I just thought maybe I wasn't living right. Okay, I'm going to stop doing this. And before I knew it, I was just giving back in. And I was enslaved to my sin. I was stuck in my prison. And then Jesus Christ comes and frees me from my cell, frees me from the prison that I was stuck in, redeems my life creates in me a new heart, gives me these new desires that I never thought I'd have before, gives me these new passions, and I all of a sudden have this hatred for my sin. Nothing that I produced but the work of God in me. Jesus Christ has a history of setting prisoners free. Let me pass the mic around if we had time and let you testify to the prison you were stuck in and how Jesus came and redeemed you and locked and pulled that lock out and, and you came walking out free as can be. I bet we could testify for days of the power of Christ redeeming us from the prisons that we were stuck in. I've been bumping uh, Maverick City worship. You guys, you guys familiar with them at all? So they got this album called, uh, it's, you know, Tribal and Maverick City. And listen, write this down. There's a song on there called Grave Clothes. Grave Clothes. You know it? Yeah. Out of the grave and I came out in the new robe. Yeah. Y'all, play that. Man, does, would that stir something up in you? The reality is, we did walk out of our grave clothes and came out in the new robe. We were buried there for too long but we come alive in the one who has conquered it all. Let your kids listen to that and be, be on repeat instead of in uh, Encanto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My God, how many times have we played in that movie in our house? <laughs> it's a good movie, though. <laughs> John Stott says, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Second Corinthians 532 says for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God. When when Pilate says in verse 38, I find no guilt in him for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Those are the very words we will hear. As we stand before the Father, I find no guilt in Him. I find no guilt in her because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those are sweet words to hear. And it's not a result of our works, of our actions. We don't earn that. We are saved by grace through faith. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation, it is a sweet gift of God. And here's the reality, y'all. Even those of us who are who have been following Christ for a long time, we may still feel like I'm stuck in my sin. I got this secret sin that I can't share with anybody, and it and I'm struggling, and I'm trying. I'm trying to break free from it. You can't do it on your own. Jesus doesn't just set you free that one time. You can find yourself still stuck in patterns of sin and Jesus Christ can very much set you free from that same pattern of sin. Right now, the power of God can set you free from being stuck and imprisoned and enslaved to that sin. In uh, Acts 3.14, they actually testify to this moment that we're reading about in, in John 18. Peter says to a group of people, he says, But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, had made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all they're testifying to god healing a lame man this lame man just got healed people are amazed and blown away and they're like look this this man who you killed the author of life it's by his power you you uh you set this this prisoner free and kill jesus it's by jesus's power that this layman has been set free and and listen i mean we see people coming to faith all the time after after the life of jesus after his resurrection and we we see it right here in acts they're testifying to god's faithfulness god's power is still at work in us today and the reality is y'all i pray that the holy spirit would stir our hearts to testify of this faithfulness of jesus christ people that we know, coworkers that we know, family and friends that we know, neighbors that we know who, and we just look at them and like, they're missing it. They're missing it. They're right there. They don't know Jesus. And we've got this testimony in our lives to say, look, Jesus saved my life. Jesus set me free. And the same way he offered me life and salvation, he offers it to you too. That word and deed combination that we see all throughout scripture is something that we gotta lean heavy on because others do need to hear this good news. And this is something we rejoice in as we get ready to close. And when we look at this text, guys, like, my God, you God, I am Barabbas. I I was a prisoner or I am a prisoner. And I didn't deserve to be set free. But Christ, you came and set me free. You broke my chains. I mean, when I, when I have tough seasons in life, when I have tough days, when I have tough weeks, when I'm discouraged, all I have to do is go back to this reality that I have been set free in Christ, that I have been adopted as a son, that I am his that this, this momentary life I'm experiencing on this side of eternity is nothing to compare with the eternal weight of glory that I'm going to experience. And when I think big picture like that, it sets me right. It doesn't mean that the problems I'm experiencing go away, maybe stress or whatever it is, but it gets my heart right. It helps me kind of back up and remember, this ain't it. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. And whether I go to him or he comes here first, whatever, I'm straight. (laughs) And I'm going to experience this new life with no tears and no death and no sickness, with joy the way it was supposed to be from the beginning. The joy of that. Let's keep going back to that, y'all. As we As we close, I want us to look at uh, one last quote from uh, Josh Butler from that book, Pursuing God. And it really points us to Jesus's motive, uh, what his drive was as he went to the cross, even in this moment with Barabbas. He, He says, the cross is not happening to Jesus. Jesus is happening to the cross. And Jesus's motive is love. He is the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus goes to the cross compelled by affection, driven by desire, moved by longing. He sees the cross as an act of service. Explaining his mission, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The cross is a signpost of divine love poured out for the world. Y'all, this is, this is Jesus' drive, It's love for us, compassion for you and I. Even these next few weeks, as we start to look at Jesus actually going to the cross, Jesus being pierced and being whipped and hanging on the cross naked and ashamed, we got to remember his drive. What? What drove him to do such a thing? Why was he not defending himself? Because of love. Because of his affections for us. He was compelled with his compassion to redeem all that was broken, not only in our lives, but in the world. Let's keep that in mind as we continue to look ahead in these next few weeks of Jesus as he goes to the cross. And let's pray together before we, uh, we continue in our service. God, thank you. Thank you for this text. Thank you for this sweet reminder. Uh, we could look at this text and be like, man, that's, that's not justice. That's letting an innocent man go, letting a guilty man go in place of an innocent man. God, continue to, to open up our eyes to the reality that this is the gospel, that we are that guilty man. And Jesus, you set us free. When we did not deserve it, when we did not earn it, we are set free. And God, I even pray for uh, those of us, not only in this room, but everywhere, your sons and daughters who are maybe still feeling stuck in prison to sin. Would you set us free from that? Jesus, you have the power. Your word is alive and active. I pray that we would fight with it. Would you compel us, Holy Spirit, to share this good news with others who don't know you? Let us not keep it to ourselves. Let us not hold it and only be focused on us, but let us be on mission to share this truth with others. The same way that we have been set free, I pray that we would experience our brothers and sisters set free, our cousins, our nieces and nephews, our parents set free, our neighbors set free, our coworkers set free those who live in houses close to here set free, that they would come to know you, Jesus, that they would worship, that they would lift their hands in joy, that we would be a church that is on mission. We would be a church that rejoices in the sweet gift of salvation. And we would be a church who shares this good news with those who desperately need it. Someone shared that with me and I came to faith, Lord, would you use us to be those people who shares this good news? If there's anyone here in this room who doesn't know you Jesus, and pray that you would continue to work in their hearts as you're drawing them to yourself, as you're drawing them to faith? And I pray for your blessings over. Redemption Peoria, I pray for your blessings over the leaders here, the pastors here, the elders here. I pray for your blessings over every single person sitting down. God, I pray for mercy and grace. We read about that. Approach your throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. That be true for this body that we would constantly approach your throne of grace with confidence, that we wouldn't lean our on our own understanding, but approach your throne of grace, that we may receive your mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Would you work in us that which is pleasing in your sight? Would you equip us as your word says in Hebrews 13? Would this be a body? Is equipped to do your work? Would your light shine on this campus in, in these neighborhoods? Even those homes on both sides, the dorms, the apartments, those living there, Christ, would they hear a people who are rejoicing? Would they hear a people who are celebrating? Would you draw them to these seats that they would know you, Christ, that they would be connected to your beautiful body? Would you begin to burden people's hearts in these seats with, with certain tasks and things you're calling them to do? Would you begin to stir in them a certain work you're calling them to do? Would you stir in them people you want them to call and reach out to or text or encourage? Would you give life to any of our dead bones, seasons that we find ourselves in? Would you make us alive again, Christ? Make us zealous for your kingdom. Make us zealous for your glory. Remind us that it's more than just this. It's more than us that you're calling us to be on mission. And you go with us, Holy Spirit. Thank you for this beautiful church. Thank you for your presence and your glory and the work that you are doing and the work that you will do through these church members. To your glory, Christ. We're grateful we love you in Jesus' name.